Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Church Online. If this is your very first time tuning into Life Church Buffalo, my name is Pete, and I serve as the lead pastor. And thank you so much for inviting us into your home on this Sunday morning. I want to say Happy Mother's Day to all of the amazing moms out there. First of all, to my mom, thank you so much for planting God's word in me from a very young age. I honor you today. To my mother-in-law, happy Mother's Day to you as well. And to my amazing and incredible wife, Kelly. I'm so glad that you are the mother of our children. I love you so much. To all of the moms out there, thank you for what you do. And I pray that the families, you kids, dads, make sure that you're helping your moms and your wives to feel cherished and celebrated today because they are queens. They are superheroes. Well, we are in week number two of a series called Dressed for Success that we began last week. And it's a saying that has some relevance and some truth in our culture today that to achieve a level of success, we need to dress a certain way, that what you wear matters. But the specific kind of success that you're shooting for determines how you dress. For example, a surgeon is gonna dress one way to be successful in the operating room, and a soldier is gonna dress completely differently to be successful on the battlefield. And the same is true with you and I in the faith life. I believe God wants us to be successful. And no, I'm not talking about success as the world defines it with lots of money. I'm talking about success in the spiritual battle that we're all engaged in, whether we realize it or not. But success is not a certainty. We have to dress for success. And that's the idea behind this series, which is based on a few verses from Ephesians chapter six that teach us how to dress for success and by putting on the full armor of God. Now, last week, I laid the foundation for this series by presenting four important principles to you uh, that kind of taught us why it's important to get dressed and how we begin to dress for success and what the whole armor of God is all about. And the first principle, in case you missed last week, was that we are in a war and the battle is unav unavoidable. Whether you want to be in it or not, whether you realize it or not, we are in a war and the battle is unavoidable. Number two was that we have an enemy, but he is invisible. Just because you can't see him doesn't mean he isn't real. And the third point, and most importantly, is that we need to remember we are fighting from victory, and that victory is irrevocable. Jesus accomplished the victory, and we have got to see ourselves seated with him in heavenly places. And the victory that he purchased for us cannot be taken away. We fight from victory, and that victory is irrevocable. And then the fourth point was that we have been given weapons, but they are not physical. We can't use physical weapons to fight a spiritual battle. We're going to talk about those weapons over the next six weeks. And before we dive into the first piece of the armor, I want to look back at the passage of scripture that the series is based on. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Once again, Paul writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, because we can't do this in our own strength. Put on the full armor of God. You got to dress for success so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people, but it is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, he says a second time, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Three times in three verses, Paul tells us to stand. Now, we can stand against the devil's schemes, but to do that, we've got to put on the full armor of God. 
God gives it to us, but it won't do us any good if we don't put it on. Reminds me of a story I heard earlier this week in preparation for this message. I heard a pastor talking about a friend of his who played a catcher in baseball. Now, if you know anything about baseball, the position of catcher has its own set of equipment that they wear for protection. They've got a catcher's mask and a catcher's glove with extra padding in it. They've got a chest protector and shin guards as well. And they're also given a cup to protect some sensitive areas. I don't need to explain to you what the cup is used for. Well, this particular friend of his didn't like the way the cup felt. It was very uncomfortable. And so he thought he'd be able to play the position without wearing it. He got a few weeks into the season until one game he was playing and the batter in the batter's box took a swing at a fastball and caught just the top of the ball, which drove the ball down into the dirt, at a very high rate of speed. And then it bounced off of the dirt with an equally high rate of speed and hit him in an area that should have been protected, but it wasn't because he wasn't wearing a cup. It resulted in a 15 minute uh, delay of game and Never again did he forget to put on that protective piece of equipment. It does no good to have equipment that you fail to put on. And Paul here is encouraging us to stand against the devil's schemes by putting on the whole armor of God. Not just part of it, not most of it, but the whole armor of God. And today we're going to look at the very first piece of that armor, which he lists in the very next verse. In verse 14, he says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. The first piece of God's armor that he gives to us is the belt of truth. And truth is listed first because we have to realize in this spiritual battle, the number one strategy of Satan in his attacks against us is deception. There was a time that Jesus was talking about the devil in John chapter 8. And in verse 44, Jesus said, There is no truth in him, speaking of the devil. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Anytime the devil speaks, he's lying. It's his native language. And his primary strategy is to attack our minds with lies. This was his first strategy all the way in the beginning with Eve in the Garden of Eden, right? We, t we talked about this in our series last October, When the Devil Knocks. How did he tempt Eve? Two ways, if you remember. Number one is he questioned God's word. If you remember, you know, in the beginning, God made man and woman, put him in the garden and said, you're free to enjoy everything that is surrounding you, except don't eat from this one tree. But the devil comes along in Genesis chapter three, verse one, and said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did God really say? Notice he didn't question that God had spoken. He just questioned what he said. He caused her to question the truth and the authority of what God had said. And that's kind of what he does with us today too, isn't it? You don't really believe that God's word is, is true, do you? The authoritative word of God. I mean, nobody really believes that anymore these days. And he gets us to question God's word. And the moment Satan questioned God's word, Eve began to question the goodness of God. And the moment we begin to question the goodness of God, it's that much easier to disobey the will of God. The second thing the enemy did was twist God's word. He twisted God's word. Eve said, well, we can eat of any tree in the garden except this one. And then in verse four, the enemy says, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. He twisted God's word because 
Eve was already made in the image of God. She was already a reflection of the heart of God, but the enemy took the focus off of the consequences of disobedience and instead twisted God's word to say that she would be like God if she ate it. And that's what he does with us too. He twists God's word into something that is so close to the truth that it sounds right. And before we know it, we're deceived. He twists it. He's like, God is love. And and that is certainly true. God is love. But he twists it to say like, well, God will understand if you do that. Besides, no one has the right to judge you. It doesn't matter what you do. God loves you. He'll forgive you anyway. He just wants you to be happy. We talked about that in our last series. See, the devil deceives us by causing us to question God's word and by twisting God's word. He is the master illusionist. He makes evil seem very appealing and attractive and makes righteousness and right living seem boring, which is why a spouse might feel justified in having an affair or a business person might feel like, well, lying a little bit to land this deal is not really that big of a deal. You see, the thing about deception is that, well, it's deceptive. If he came at us with bold face and obvious lies, then we could easily detect it and deal with it. But deception is rarely outright. It's a lie cloaked in a tweaked and twisted version of the truth. It's a fraud. It's an illusion, which is why Charles Spurgeon once said that discernment is not matter, a matter of simply telling the difference between right and wrong. Rather, it is telling the difference between what is right and almost right. And the truth of God's word is what helps us to do that. It is the light that penetrates the darkness where the enemy lies and exposes his subtle schemes. The only way to combat deception is with the truth. Now, what is truth? Such an important question in our culture today. Well, a definition of truth is an absolute objective standard by which reality is measured. Reality in its original form. See, to discover truth, you have to look at origins. And since God is the creator and originator of everything, only he can be the fixed standard of what is true because he is the origin of it. But the enemy tries to deceive us with counterfeit truths. When you think about counterfeit money, the secret service is the ones who are trained to detect real currency from counterfeit currency. And the way that they are trained is not by looking at counterfeit currency. They spend weeks and months becoming intimately acquainted with what authentic real currency looks like. So that when a counterfeit comes across their path, they're quickly and easily able to, able to detect it. And bank tellers, you know, have aids that help them determine what is real versus fake by having a black light. Whenever there's a question about a bill, they'll put that bill under the black light to kind of see, is this real or is it fake? If it's real, there's certain things in the bill that kind of are illuminated to show them that it's the real deal. TSA agents do the same thing with us when we fly through airports, right? We hand them our identification. They put it under the black light to see if it's authentic to verify it's, if it's real, right? No matter how many thousands of IDs they look at, they don't trust their own ability to spot the fake. They always pass it under the light to determine if it's real. You guys, the Bible is our black light that we need to pass everything under to verify its authenticity, to see if this is real or is this a counterfeit. Dr. Tony Evans describes truth this way. It is God's view on any subject. 
It is his opinion on any matter. And because he is the originator, it is absolute truth. But our society pushes back against the idea of absolute truth. There's this trend in society today for people to say, well, what's true for me may not be true for you. That's called moral relativism. Everything's relative. You live your own truth. And we talked about that in the last series. I'm just gonna trust my feelings to determine what is true. And we cannot do that. Our feelings change all the time. Whatever the circumstances are, they change. So they can't be trusted to be the standard by which we measure what is true. The prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 17, 9, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We have a tremendous capacity to deceive ourselves when we trust our feelings. Just because something feels like it's true doesn't mean it actually is. So truth is more than feelings. Well, the same is true of our intelligence. We can't trust our intellect to determine what is true because we change our minds on things all the time. There isn't a person alive who hasn't changed their mind on a matter after gaining more knowledge or information or you know, gaining a new perspective on a subject. Well, what about your gut, right? Can you trust your gut? Every human being has a conscience, that deep internal instinct that guides us morally. But we have to understand that our conscience is part of our humanity, which is frail and susceptible to sin. It's, we're born with a sin nature. And our conscience is shaped by our environment, our upbringing, and life circumstances. So our, our conscience can't be a reliable source to determine what is true because our conscience can change. So listen, I'm not suggesting that feelings or intelligence or instinct can't be helpful to you when you're making life decisions. But I am saying that nothing should, should be trusted to govern your life like an unchanging, absolute standard. And we have to realize that our standard is the truth of God's word. We do not adjust the Bible to fit our lives. We adjust our lives to fit what God's word says. And God is the origin of truth and his truth has been revealed to us in Jesus and through his word. And Jesus is the word. John writes in his gospel, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And Jesus would grow up and, and say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And truth is the spiritual attribute that Paul connects to this first piece of the armor that he listed, the belt of truth. It seems interesting to me that Paul lists it first because if you're gonna ask me what somebody looked like and what they were wearing, I'm not gonna use their belt to describe their clothing to you. I might talk about their shirt or their pants or their sneakers, but not the belt. But Paul lists the belt first because he's listing them in the order in which a soldier would have put them on. Remember from last week, Paul's imagery for the armor is coming largely from the Roman soldier that he's most likely tied to as he's under house arrest. The Roman soldier's belt was more like a girdle than a modern belt like we think of today. And it wasn't an optional or secondary piece of equipment like you and I might add a belt as an accessory to an outfit. Instead, it was a strategic and primary focal point of his armor that served several purposes. And we're gonna dive into some of those purposes. Look at it again in verse 14. He says, stand firm then 
with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. This is the fourth time in this short passage that he tells us to stand. Now, standing while under attack requires strength. And that strength comes partially from having a belt buckled around your waist. So the first uh, function of the belt in the Roman armor was to give support to the core. It gave support to the core. Now, I, I shared with you last week that, you know, as my boys are growing up, I love to wrestle with them. And one of the other ways that we like to kind of, you know, mess around a little bit is I'll kind of push them around the house and we've got, you know, uh, linoleum floors and I'll, I'll shove them across the floor and they'll slide and they'll not be able to resist me because I'm stronger than them. And then they take turns trying to push back against me. And, you know, it's almost like a competition between the two of them trying to see which one of us can get dad to, to move from his spot when he, you know, when I, when I plant my feet and they'll take running starts and I'll brace myself and they're not able to move me. But that requires some strong core support, a strong core. You know, a person can exercise like crazy in the gym, lifting weights, trying to get bigger muscles and lose weight or whatever, but so many people neglect this important part of the body, the core, right? The core is that area around our trunk and pelvis made up of our stomach muscles and back muscles. It's the central link that connects the lower part of the body to the upper part of the body and enables all of our limbs and movements to work together in harmony. A strong core helps you with balance and stability and resistance to injury. My trainer taught me that the core is the foundation of everything and the most important part of the body to train. Every motion that we make involves the core, whether it's sweeping the floor or you know, swinging a golf club or lifting up a laundry basket or picking up a child that all involves core strength. And some of you know what I'm talking about because you've thrown your back out just reaching for something across the table. In fact, as we get older, a weak core could even mean the difference between being able to walk upright or being slouched over or even eventually relegated to a chair. The condition of your core affects everything. You know, the Apostle Paul began this passage in verse 10 by saying, be strong in the Lord. And then he says, stand four times before telling us to put on the belt of truth around our waist. So standing while under duress requires strength that comes from a belt, which reminds me of like when I'm at the gym and I'm doing something strenuous like deadlifts or squats with a lot of weight. If I'm trying to set a new PR or something like that, the trainer will tell me to put on a weight belt to provide some extra strength and stability to my core so that I don't buckle under the pressure and I keep proper form. Now, spiritually speaking, I think this is kind of what Paul is alluding to when he lists this as the first piece of armor, that a strong, well-supported spiritual core helps us. Unfortunately, many Christians don't have a strong core belief system to govern their lives. If a strong physical core helps us with balance and stability and you know, resistance to injury, then someone who doesn't have a strong core, spiritually speaking, aren't stable and sturdy in their convictions. They're easily wounded and offended by others. And they buckle under pressure rather than standing firm and persevering. So truth, you could say, is your core support. It provides the essential support you need to fight the enemy's lies. You know, there's three um, indicators of a person having a weak core physically. And if we look at these three physical conditions, we can glean some spiritual insights from them when it comes to how we can be people who 
are strengthened and supported by truth. And the first condition is poor posture. A strong core enables you to stand straight for long periods of time. Not only that, but the stronger your core, the less likely you are to buckle under pressure while carrying heavy loads. A person with a weak core, on the other hand, will find their shoulders slouching as the aging process sets in, which I am beginning to realize. I have poor posture, which I'm working on. Spiritually speaking, though, a strong core can help keep your spiritual backbone straight when you're under pressure from other people to conform or to compromise. It can help keep your backbone straight when you're carrying the extra weight of going through a hard time or you're struggling and feel that difficulty and burden. The belt of truth helps your spiritual posture to be upright. The second condition physically is that you are injury prone. See, your core muscles kind of hold your spine in place. When the core is weak, any strenuous activity causes your backbone to move a little bit more loosely inside your body and more unprotected, and it makes you more susceptible to injury. Being injury prone is not only hard on joints and muscles, but it's also hard on hearts and relationships. You see, sensitivity to taking offense is one of the enemy's key strategies that he uses to trap believers into his web of deception. But the belt of truth protects me from that when I know that I'm never gonna need to forgive someone else more than Jesus has forgiven me. And because his love has been poured out into my heart through the Holy Spirit, I have the ability and the power to forgive others. The third physical condition of a weak core is body fatigue. See, when the core isn't well supported, it's unable to supply the level of strength that you need for other body movements. And spiritually speaking, when you are not girded by the truth of God, your weak and superficial relationship with God isn't able to supply you with the spiritual strength you need in the other areas of your life, whether that be work or school or ministry or relationships. On the flip side, however, when you are standing firm on the truth of God as revealed in his word, when his truth is at the core of your existence, strength then flows into every other area of your life and gives you the spiritual muscle to carry out what he calls you to do. So the first function of the belt of truth is to provide core support. When you have a strong, stable core supported by truth, you can't easily be led astray by the enemy's lies. Now, the second function of the belt in the soldier's armor was to hold and stabilize the other pieces of armor. You see, the Roman soldier's belt, which was more like a girdle than a modern belt like we think of, was put on first because all of the other pieces of armor hang, hung from it or were supported by it. It kept the breastplate in place, protecting the soldier's heart and other vital organs. The sword and the dagger were hung from the belt. And it also provided a place to rest the shield. There was a loop in the belt that allowed them to rest their shield when you know, they would take a break from marching. A soldier without his girdle or belt was like a policeman without his holster. There's nowhere to put anything. And imagine the ramifications of that. Without a belt, the, the soldier or legionary would need to carry his sword in one hand and his dagger in the other, which would result in his arms being unnecessarily fatigued as they marched everywhere that they went. And if he's holding those things, where does, where does he hold his, his shield with? And without anything to keep the breastplate anchored and steady, he risked leaving his chest exposed to the flaming arrows of the enemy. 
In other words, the belt served as a hanger of sorts that organized, secured, and stabilized the rest of the armor. So spiritually speaking, when it comes to the armor of God, it's the belt of truth that supports everything else. It's truth that holds it all together. So if we jump ahead real quick and look at some of the other pieces of armor that we're going to cover in the coming weeks, we can learn how truth is a stabilizer that secures those things to us. The next one is the breastplate of righteousness. And righteousness means right standing with God and others and living in a way that honors and pleases God. The truth that secures that to me is understanding that because God's spirit lives in me, I can live in a way that honors and pleases God. The next one is the shoes of the gospel of peace. And peace is that deep inner stability that a believer possesses because of their relationship with Jesus. And it's not dependent on our external circumstances. And the truth that secures that to me is to understand that peace is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit who lives in me. And when I present my request to him with thanksgiving, he gives me a peace that passes understanding. The next one is the shield of faith. And faith is the application of what someone believes even when they can't see. And the truth that helps secure that to me is to understand that he's given all of us a measure of faith, right? And it only takes the faith the size of a mustard seed to move mountains. And I understand that I walk by faith and not by sight. Then it's the helmet of salvation. And salvation is both our eternal security in Christ as well as the full inheritance we've been given because of our relationship with him as sons and daughters of God. The truth that helps secure this to me is to understand that it's by grace I've been saved. Through faith and nothing that I've done on my own, salvation is a gift from God. And then it's the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And the word is his present and relevant and personal word to us today. And the truth that secures this to me is to understand that the word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It is God-breathed and useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness and has divine power to demolish strongholds. So you see, truth is what secures all of these other spiritual attributes and weapons to us. It is the first and most important article of clothing if we're going to dress for success in this battle against the enemy. And not only did the the belt stabilize and secure the other pieces of armor, but it also helped support the weight of it, relieving pressure from the shoulders. See, without it, the soldier was forced to bear the full weight of everything, which was somewhere near 70 pounds altogether. And the heaviest part of that armor was the breastplate, which weighs between 40 and 50 pounds. Can you imagine how cumbersome and tiring it was if you didn't have the belt in place to have this 50 pound plate just flailing and flapping against your chest? Well, spiritually speaking, without the belt of truth, with the truth being in Jesus, as Ephesians 4.21 says, you're then left with the heavy responsibility of carrying the full weight of your own breastplate, your own righteousness, which scripture says is like filthy rags to God. But with God's truth strapped on, knowing that the requirement for righteousness was satisfied by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, then you're relieved of that pressure. God's truth is that righteousness has been given to me through faith in Jesus as a free gift, freeing me from living under the crushing weight of all of that sin. That's incredible. I hope that you're seeing this. The third function of the belt was to secure the tunic. Now, 
The, the common dress in the day that Paul wrote this for both Roman soldiers as well as Jewish men was a tunic. Now, a tunic was a long robe, kind of went all the way to the ground. It was light and flowy. It allowed air to circulate in the hot climate that they lived in. Now, I've never worn one myself, but I can imagine that probably felt very freeing. You would think, though, that adding a belt to this tunic and kind of strapping it around your waist would feel restricting. But anytime they tried to do anything that was strenuous or required effort, whether it was hard labor or running or fighting a battle, for example, that flowing robe would actually get in the way. It would limit their mobility and limit their, the length of their stride, causing them to trip. So what felt freeing now became restrictive. So what they would do before any hard work or before going into battle is something that was called girding up their loins. Now, we don't understand what that means, and we read the NIV, which translated this as the belt of truth, but the NASB is actually the one that has the closest translation to the original language in the Greek, which is, it says this, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. Now, I found a picture online to help you understand what this means from the art of manliness of all places. This is what girding your loins means. See, they would hoist the tunic up above their knees, gather up all the material and bring it to the front of them. They would then pass it between their legs to the back and grab half of the material in one hand, half of the material on the other hand, and then wrap it around to their front and tuck it into their belt. This gave their legs freedom to move with agility and swiftness and confidence. So what felt restrictive actually became freeing. Do you see this? Now consider what Jesus said in John 8.32 when he said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. See, the enemy is going to try to tell you that the Bible and Christianity and, and truth are restrictive, keeping you from, from doing the fun things that you really want to do. But in reality, binding yourself in truth and girding up your loins helps to remove restrictions so you can fight with freedom, unrestricted. Tucking your tunic into the belt of truth and aligning your life with the truth is the most freeing thing you can do in your life. Because then you don't have to wonder if what you're doing is right or wrong. You don't have to rely on your feelings. You can now run and fight with confidence. Restricting the tunic releases your feet so that you can experience freedom that you wouldn't otherwise have. So if you've been feeling a little beat up by the enemy, maybe you need to check and see what parts of your tunic are getting in the way of your ability to effectively fight against his schemes. Because step one of success in this battle against him is girding up your loins and tucking your tunic into truth. So the way this plays out is maybe, you know, you're in a relationship and that really hot guy that you'd love to date and he's so good looking and he, he makes really good money and, you know, he's good husband material, but then you, you tuck that into truth and you realize the truth of God's word says that we should not be unequally yoked with unbelievers so that we can be free to fight unrestricted. Or guys, maybe you're in the middle of a heated discussion with your wife and you're just wanting to give her a piece of your mind and prove to her who's right and who's the boss, but then you tuck that into truth and you realize that we're not to speak any unwholesome word out of our mouths. But every word that we speak should be wholesome and helpful that it may give grace to those who hear. See, that's what it means to gird up your loins with truth. 
If you want to become a warrior, a man or woman of war whom the devil fears, you need to tuck your tunic into truth and restrict your desires, your freedoms, your liberties within the boundaries set by the truth of God's word. When you do that, that's when real freedom awaits you. So we know that the belt of truth will strengthen and support your core. It holds and stabilizes the other pieces of armor. And then it also secures the tunic so we can fight unrestricted and unencumbered. So how do we then put this belt of truth on so that we can withstand the evil one? The first step to putting on the belt of truth is to know the truth. We have to be men and women who know the truth. And to know the truth We've got to read God's word. Psalm 119 verse 105 says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We've got to use God's word to be the light that guides our path that helps us make decisions in life. You guys, this is so important because truth doesn't set us free. And some of you are thinking, well, I thought the Bible says it does set us free. No, it's the truth you know that sets us free. John 8, 32, Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's the truth you know. If it's a truth that you don't know, you're still not free. For example, Abraham Lincoln announced the Emancipation Proclamation on January 1st, 1863. But it wasn't until June 19th, 1865 that the slaves in Texas finally found out. So the Emancipation Proclamation freed all slaves. But for two and a half years, the slaves in Texas lived in bondage because they did not know the truth. See, if we do not know the truth, we will continue to live in bondage, blinded by the lies of the enemy. If you want to stand against the schemes of the enemy, you have to know the truth. But it's more than just knowing the truth. We also have to apply the truth. David said in Psalm 51 verse 6 that you desire truth in my innermost being. See, we've got to let it move from the outside of just something that we wear to letting it penetrate our hearts and get to the inside of us. I talked about objective truth earlier, but applied truth is putting the truth we know into action in our lives, which helps us become people of character who always speak the truth. People of integrity who live without hypocrisy. The belt of truth is more than just knowing what is true. Knowing the truth does no good if you don't actually live it. You put the belt on by living the truth. Are you living in accordance with the truth? In other words, are you living with integrity? Are you a truthful and trustworthy person? You know, I mentioned earlier what Jesus said in John 8, 32, that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But equally important to that, although less known and less quoted, is what he said in the verse directly preceding it. Jesus said in John 8, 31, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We've got to hold to his teaching. We've got to live by the truth by applying it to our lives. Knowing things about God is not the same thing as living in the truth and honoring God. See, freedom comes when we align our lives with the truth, when we walk in it and order our steps and make decisions according to it. That's what makes the difference. I want to close with a verse that 
Jesus' half-brother James writes in James 1.22 when he tells Christians, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. You guys, we've got to live the word. We've got to live the truth. We can't just listen to it. We can't just listen to this message and say, hey, that was a great message, but don't actually do what it says. Are we allowing the truth of God to transform our lives? The belt of truth is what holds everything together. And if we're going to stand firm against the spiritual forces of darkness in this spiritual war, we've got to dress for success by starting with the belt of truth buckled around our waist. And we do that by knowing the truth and living the truth. Let me pray for you today. Well, God, I, I pray right now for my brothers and sisters in Christ that you would, Lord, give us a hunger for your word. Help us to not only know your word, but to live your word. And as James says, to do what it says, God, that we would, that we would be able to fight unrestricted, God, that we would experience real freedom when we align our lives and, and gird up our loins by tucking our freedoms and our, and our liberties into truth, God. Help us to be a people who have a strong spiritual core that govern our lives, that strengthen us under pressure. God, help us to see how it's the truth of your word that, that supports and secures all of these other weapons to us. God, may we be a people that first and foremost wake up every day and remember to put on the belt of truth. And God, I pray for those as we continue praying. I'm not gonna assume that just because you're listening to and watching this message that you're in full agreement with the principles that I've presented today. Just because you read the Bible once or maybe you even read it occasionally now doesn't mean that you've chosen it as your standard of living any more than someone who belongs to a gym has made a commitment to use the equipment at the gym. And maybe as you sit here listening to this or watching this, you're realizing that, you know what, you have lived by your own truth. Well, the truth that you need to know today and you're feeling some conviction in your heart right now, and that's the Holy Spirit helping you to realize that Jesus is the truth and there is no other way to God except through him. The truth is that our sin separates us from God. And that's why he died so that he could pay the price for that and make a way for us to be restored to relationship with him. And if you're ready to make that decision and take that step, I wanna provide you that opportunity to do that right now. And so if you would let us know that you are making this decision by just putting up a hands up emoji in, in whatever online platform you're watching from. If you're watching on church online, then you can just go ahead and click the button that says, you know, raise a hand, commit my life to Christ. And I'm just gonna lead you in a prayer and the words of the prayer aren't important. It's the posture of your heart as you're surrendering your life to him right now. This is part of girding yourself with truth because he is the truth. Just say, Heavenly Father, I confess that I'm a sinner who's tried to live by my own truth. And God, I thank you that you sent Jesus to this earth to die for me. I repent of my sins. I turn away from my truth and surrender and submit to your truth. Jesus, I believe that you are the way, the truth, and the life, that you are the son of God who died for me and rose again. I give you my life. Now fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me the strength and the power to put on the belt of truth every day 
so that I can live according to your truth. Jesus, I give you my life. Be my savior and my Lord. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen and amen. Well, let me be the first one to welcome those of you who just prayed that prayer to the family of God. Scripture says the angels in heaven celebrate when one sinner comes to repentance and we are celebrating right along with them. Rich is gonna come back on in just a moment to give you some instructions on some next steps that you should take on this new journey as a follower of Jesus Christ. But I just wanna tell you how excited I am to have you as part of the family and to let you know that we're a church that wants to help you take next steps and to walk with you on this new journey. Come back next week. We're gonna continue this discussion by talking about the next piece of the armor and how we dress for success by putting on the breastplate of righteousness. God bless. I love you so much. I miss you, church. Have a great week and we'll see you next Sunday. Thank you so much, Pastor Pete, for that powerful message this morning. I just love seeing what God is doing through this church. Now, as I mentioned earlier this morning, if you are newer with us, please let us know in the comment section or head over to lifechurchbuffalo.com and click on the new here button. And if you decided to say yes to Jesus today, all of heaven is celebrating and we want to celebrate with you too. On our website, look to the next steps button and let us know that you're ready to take your next step with Jesus. You are not in this alone and we look forward to walking with you step by step on your relationship with Christ. And now church, stay tuned because it's time for Kids Life Live. And be sure to tune in to our Life Church Buffalo YouTube channel anytime you will be able to find all of our streaming content and past message series. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday today, and we will see you right here next week.